Hey, everybody, it's Friday, Friday, and we're going to do our variety show. We're going to do five for Friday, but then... Boop, boop, breaking then, news, Molly, we got a leak. We break down some leaks. Jason got his hand. Jason just can't stop with that investigative reporter bug. Stop. Got his hand on some Twitter leaks. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Molly, explain to the audience what the leaks uh, are for. The leaks were for Twitter's new crowdsource moderation tool called Birdwatch. It includes screenshots, so you are going to want to find the video version of this podcast, youtube.com slash this week in. Uh, and then we have another great OK Boomer from producer Rachel, as always. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. Stick with us. Why not? This Week in Startups is brought to you by Notion. Notion is one place for notes, docs, projects, and everyday work that goes way beyond a wiki. Go to notion.so and use promo code TWIST to get $250 off an annual team plan. Our crowd. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Our Crowd for free at ourcrowd.com/twist. And Intercom. If you're an early stage high growth startup, you can get access to Intercom's Early Stage Academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early dash stage or email them at startups at intercom.io. We're live, Molly, with breaking, breaking news. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday. It's five for Friday. Is that what we call this? Five for Friday? Five for Friday. Yeah, I like that. Five for Friday? Because we can't uh, promise the second five, so we're just calling it five for Friday. <laughs> it might wind up being four, but this is where we do five topics in five minutes each. But this first topic, breaking news. Alarm sounding, must credit this week in startups. We have received the Birdwatch screenshots from wee-oo, an insider. Wee-oo, wee-oo. Boop, boop. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, okay. I cannot talk about how we noises. got these screenshots. Okay. That being said, uh, we have the screenshots of Birdwatch. You're asking me, what's Birdwatch? I okay. am. I mean, I'm Bird- not, but someone is. You know how Wikipedia has mods? The best and, thing about it. Yeah. And, you know, they try to keep the community on track. You know how Twitter has, um, you know, a harassment, truth, misleading information, all this, you know, fake news uh, issue, Molly? You know how to have that? Yep. I believe I've heard a little bit about that here and there. Okay. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of things going on there. <laughs> all right. So, Twitter has a great idea. Uh, we'll see, uh, you know, if it works or not. And we're going to have an open discussion here. I, I mm-hmm. am open minded to this. Um, they're going to have a community driven approach to tackling misleading information. In other words, mm-hmm. instead of Twitter saying, hey, Ivermectin or this post or this meme is fake news, they want all of us to do it. Now, how this is executed, uh, the devil's in the details, right? Mm-hmm. Like all things. So, and we should clarify here that they announced this feature back in January. So, what we or January 2021, they were like, we're going to do this bird watch thing. And everybody was like, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, now you're going to see it. Now we're going to see it. Exactly. All right. So, here's the first screenshot. I I have like, I think I have six screenshots to go through here. Update. Um, Okay. So, this is what you'll see in your app. See, it says bird watch there. And you're Mm -hmm. in the, you have basically a bird watch in your menu. Now, they're going to show you tweets. And they're going to ask you, 
is this note helpful? Now, this is um, a note that somebody else made on somebody else's tweet. In other words, this is community on community checking. So somebody said, okay, on somebody else's tweet, I believe it to be a joke. So there's okay. a rating. And then right. this other member of the bird watch is being asked, is this note helpful? In other words, Molly, you're in bird watch. Mm -hmm. You said, I think this person is joking in their tweet because they asked you to review a controversial tweet. Right. And then I say, do I think Molly has been helpful? So this is the star chamber checking the star chamber, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I say it's somewhat helpful. I think you've been somewhat helpful here, Molly. So for those of you listening, I click not yes, not no, is it helpful? I click somewhat. And then it actually asks you, what was helpful about it? Mm -hmm. And I'll just read you some of the choices here. Cites high quality sources, easy to understand, directly addresses the tweet's claim, provides important context, neutral or unbiased language, other. Mm -hmm. So they're asking me to pick one of these choices about Molly's commentary on a tweet that would be, let's say, a charge tweet. We'll get into that. Yeah. Then they ask another question. What was unhelpful about Molly's note? So I'm policing the police. Mm -hmm. The most cynical view of this would be like Stasi like spying on each other. Ooh. We're like some underground. But if all this stuff was transparent right. and you could see the ratings as a user, well, maybe it's helpful. I don't know. So mm -hmm. let's see. Was what was unhelpful about it? Why don't you read these ones, Molly, and tell us what you think of these? So what then was you can say, uh, yeah. and this is what I like about the asking these questions: what's helpful and unhelpful? Is it's uh, creating a critical thinking muscle? Mm -hmm. So what was unhelpful sources are not included or they're unreliable sources do not support note incorrect information opinion or speculation typos or unclear language misses key points or irrelevant or argumentative or biased language. Ooh, the old framing of something. I like the old it. Okay. framing of stuff. So I have wait, I want to I have a, a level set question before we dig deeper into this. So oh, and then there's one more there. I think that last one's kind of oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, note not needed on this tweet so what this is, is saying the is there's going to be notes under tweets right that was my question so it seems like birdwatch has two is a two-factor situation you can put a note on a tweet that you believe to be problematic right and then someone or can rate good. the note good or bad yes and then someone can rate the note so it's like a double rating system sort of i i think that's what they're doing here okay. so who knows who gets invited into this but of course now the devil's in the detail you as uh, you know somebody on the right might think well msnbc is not reliable ben shapiro and fox news are reliable you know if you're a joy reed and you know uh who else is on the left uh, who's the media guy from cnn who's very polarizing for the right people are always dunking on him anybody watching well brian stelter is reliable brian sources. Stelter, thank you is oh, that reliable sources? Yeah, that's reliable sources. Got it. Okay, so Brian Stelter is like, you know, the right thinks he's like apologist for CNN, yada, yada. Wow. Um, that's interesting because all the women in media think he's the original catch and kill guy, but okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so, so many <laughs> layers here. Sometimes Proving the Whisper Network comes out on the show and it's uh, very fun. Um, uh -huh. He, Yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying because the mm -hmm. Cuomo stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so, uh, so then, mm, so mm. what we're, so our question here is one, it sounds like you may, some people may be able to attach notes to tweets, other people's tweets, other people's tweets, but, but they may, that we think is going to be by invite. Like it won't be like, I, well, everybody. right now you apply to be in birdwatch. I right. don't know if they're going to go to birdwatch and say, we'll have 50, we'll have 35 people, a third of people who are on the left, 30 people who identify on the right, 30 people who wrap up. 
are independent or they're going to say we're going to go to librarians you know and people with degrees in library science yep. which was yeah what a wikipedia's original thing a lot of people who yep. are into this uh, degree of library science and in fact when i did mahalo i i tried to hire those folks um yeah. they're, they're a really interesting group of people they, they would love to work for free if you try to pay them <laughs> it'll be really bedlam okay Right. Next screenshot. <laughs> okay. So we have, so we have the note thing and then we have the, mo the moderating of the, the rating of the note situation. Yeah. And then let's keep going through the features. Okay. So now Second here screenshot. we see a tweet from Elon and this is an actual tweet and this is an actual bird watch in effect. You see Elon's tweet there. It says ultimately the downfall of the Freemasons was giving away their stone cutting services for nothing, <laughs> which is a joke. I believe like, I don't think the Freemasons actually did their work for free. And it says <laughs> help rate notes submitted by birdwatch contributors so this person is being asked to look at other people in birdwatch and uh rate their notes and it says only visible to birdwatch contributors so this is mm. like this is like how the sausage is getting made behind the scenes uh and actually a reply from joe uh, the co-founder of airbnb is there uh this couldn't compete with the discount masons <laughs> you know, <laughs> some revenue is better than none so anyway there you see how it exists in the wild um let's okay see another one but it is notable to me that the note is only visible to birdwatch contributors currently and again we don't know if that's the case now with the bit well then what's the well, difference between the a note what's the difference between a note and a reply okay so the idea would be replies everybody's doing already Everybody there's a sea them. of them yeah notes would appear right under the tweet ostensibly and would be by this group of people who are trusted in some way uh -huh. so it might be if you write a note and 25 other bird watchers say great note accurate yada yada then it appears but if your note is not deemed to have consensus around it i'm it. taking a guess here it wouldn't right okay mm -hmm, so just mm -hmm. like if somebody made a good argument as a wikipedia person editing a page there's like a discussion page and they said listen yeah. this person is not notable here's the reasons i don't think they're notable another person replies hey they are notable they're on this top 100 list here's a link to them being quoted in the wall street journal five times and then Got people kind of can vote on that and, and you get some sort of consensus going. Startups need a central hub to store information and collaborate on work now more than ever. That's because we're all living in this crazy remote world. Everybody wants to put all the information in one place. And that one place is now Notion. Documents, projects, all that stuff. It kind of goes in the same place on what you could consider a wiki. When we went fully remote in March of 2020, Notion became our internal knowledge bank. We even use it for external purposes. You know, like when we did this series on This Week in Startups called the Startup Checklist. Well, we just put it at thisweekinstartups.com slash checklist. And that is all hosted on Notion. On Notion, every team from engineering to sales can work together seamlessly and they have 500 integrated apps, including things like Google and Slack. Collaborate in real time and tailor workflows to your needs. Hundreds of thousands of teams worldwide are already delighting their employees with Notion. Notion is now a worldwide community of millions, and they're creating templates and tutorials, so the product is continually improving. Just go to Notion.so and use the promo code TWIST, and you will get $250 off their annual team plan. That could be a couple of months for free, so it's pretty great for a growing startup like yours. That's Notion.so, and use that promo code TWIST during checkout for $250 off. Okay, so, so here are the notes. kind of closer even to Reddit than Wikipedia, where you can, because you upvote responses. Yeah, and so, so in a Reddit thread, what you'll end up seeing is the responses that have been deemed the most useful or helpful. But again, this is stru more structured. Yeah. 
data here. So yeah. they're structuring it by giving you like that. Uh, I don't know what you said, but like turn your brain on kind of situation. What was the word you use when it gives you the mental model of here are all your choices, how to think about that? Um, you use some term of like, hey, this is engaging your brain. Um, mm. And so here we go. We're looking at this. And so this isn't a place to make other jokes or be publicly replying. This is a place only to do this structured kind of data. So here it says, uh, this thing needs more rating. So here are the comments people put on Elon's tweet in there. Don't, don't go too fast here. Go back up, please. I'll, I'll tell you when to move down. Um, got to admit, here's the, the note. Got to admit, their third baseman was killer, though. Um, <laughs> don't know what that's about. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Let's keep going. Uh, so this is down. where someone is abusing their note privilege to yeah, put a funny not. comment on yes. the tweets. Uh -huh, there are many yeah. conspiracy theories about the Freemasons, and this is a joke about those theories. Huh. The, the etymology of free is disputed, but it doesn't mean they refuse payment for their work. Oh my God. This is that so useful. This is showing it being super useful. Yep. There, somebody's literally explaining to yep. people who don't understand Elon's sense of humor, the joke. Like all, all people. How much well, do you have to freaking know about Freemasons I, to get his jokes? A lot of times when I make a joke and listen, I'm, I'm a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> who makes good Hilarious. jokes that are very understandable <laughs> when i make jokes sometimes i will put the laughing face in other words i laugh at my own joke right at the end i put the yes. smile face just so i don't get a flood of replies where people take the joke seriously yep um and then the when people net. yeah when people refuse to understand it's a joke because there's four hilarious rolling on the floor laughing emojis i will reply with the absolutely perfect animated gif of Superman looking around like this, and he's flying, <laughs> and then somebody put the 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 word the joke, yeah, and the joke moves around, but Superman can't find it. That's amazing. showing even Superman can miss a joke. So anyway, this is a perfect <laughs> example of somebody unpacks this for somebody. Next, let's scroll down another okay, uh, little great. bit here. So Useful. we would have clicked yes, that's um, helpful. Right. See anything you'd like to improve? There's nothing to improve here. This person nailed it. It's amazing, amazing, yep. and so great. Here is. A bird watch screen. We're gonna go. I think this is the third screen we're on here. And bird watch says we need your help. Rate these notes chosen for you. Okay, so let's pause for a second here. If you're not watching the video, you can go to YouTube.com/slash This Weekend. You would search for the May sixth episode. Go to the videos, and you can just sort them by date. Go to the May sixth episode. Fast forward a couple of minutes in, and you'll see these actual screenshots. Or if you're on Spotify, uh, we're part of the video thing where you can just if you turn your phone sideways, I think it turns the video on. Uh, and then if you're on Apple Podcast, you have to search for This Week in Startups video. We have two feeds, one's audio and a video. Okay, now, rate these notes chosen for you. Notes on these tweets need a more diverse range of feedback, and your point of view could help decide if they're helpful. This list refreshes regularly. So this is notable. No pun intended. <laughs> Sorry. It's notable. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for no I didn't do that. I also laughed at my own joke because no Thank one else you. was gonna. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. no, absolutely. Uh, the puns are heavy today. So anyway, <laughs> what's notable about this note, uh, about making writing notes, is that they were chosen for you. Right. So I think the algorithm here right. is going to say, hey, you seem to understand Elon's sense of humor, COVID, politics, the Supreme Court, whatever it is, whatever your jam is, we'll show you more notes like that. So let's scroll down here and take a look. So, Any and in this case, we're assuming you are one of the birdwatch mods so to speak and that's you're a bird why you're watch seeing mod and it's telling that's you that's why you're seeing here's this some work screen okay yes. so it's not like everybody will show up on twitter and be like hey check out these notes like god help no. us 
yeah, the point oh oh one percent deemed worthy of being a bird watch and trust trustworthy will be in here. Yeah, and uh, okay, you're going to say, well, who watches the watchers? Yada yeah, yada. You really are, it's, of course. But it what we saw at Wikipedia was, you know, it winds up trending towards incredibly helpful, unless you're a bio of a living person. Because if you're a bio of a living person, <laughs> yeah, the anonymity there means anybody who's your enemy or you ever fired or you ever beat in competition or has got an axe to grind with you is going to shape your wikipedia page to be 90 percent your failures and 10 percent your victories whatever yeah totally so here ian miles chang or chang 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 um he um is a polarizing citizen journalist muckraker if i had to describe him i don't okay. know exactly what his deal is but i think he's known for covering the antifa folks and getting beat up by them on a number of occasions um hmm. somebody fact check me if that's not correct but he's like a uh pretty full you know like when people go to like portland or wherever those you know sit-ins and riots and stuff were happening he kind of goes there with a the camera and live streams and he's like one of those dudes okay oh no that's not him what is he is ian miles part of the alt-right i'm thinking of andy no or go but I he think is, they're both I mean, part of the I'm right. Assuming that so he's apologies right, for. Right. Uh, I'm assuming this guy is right wing because he is appears to, in this case, be retweeting a meme that is full on Putin disinformation and propaganda in, about Ukrainians, yeah. Ukrainian battalions being made up of neo Nazis. Ah, okay. So Chiang uh, has made a name for himself in right wing circles by frequently weighing in on U.S. politics. I guess is one description on the internet. Okay, so you're describing a meme. It's that um line drawing which is like um a trolling drawing so this is kind of like a 4chan hn kind of vibe we in azov battalion are neo-nazis i don't understand this joke actually there was this there was this sort of disinformation campaign about how there was an entire uh, regiment of okay. ukrainian fighters who were neo-nazis to try to bolster the claim that putin invaded because he's trying to purge nazism from ukraine Got it. And they're, they're, this is like one of and those situations. This battalion might be, I don't know, but this was definitely part of this whole, right? Like this to was me. one, unquestionably, a whole part of this big, like, look, everyone, they're Nazis. And it, I think it's, I think they are like in this. I mean, it's just a very, it's they're, messy. They might in fact have some the Nazis, that, but it may not <laughs> they be might as have pronounced some Nazis and they probably do. Making, but a perfect one for Birdwatch to check in on because. We're relatively like, well-informed people, and I have questions about, is this reality or not? I have questions. I have, I mean, it's, <laughs> I listen, if you're dealing with disinformation, and it's Putin, and it's a, the fog of war, I mean, right. this is the ultimate use case here. And if you're the guy throwing this in here, and your whole history is that you are, as one Twitter user described it, a right-wing, uh, or an alt-right Gamergate ding-dong, okay. then one assumes <laughs> okay. that you're, which, by the way, bravo. ding-dong. Bravo, Bravo Imani, Imani Gandhi <laughs> for that one. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next one. Uh, well, okay, so let's look at the notes. Let's okay, scroll so, down a little so, bit right. So this gets posted, and then presumably the notes are everything we just said. Like, well, that battalion is actually neo-Nazi. Yeah. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and then the, the second half of the meme is, that is Russian propaganda. Putin is the real neo-Nazi. Okay. And then it says here, help rate <laughs> one note on this tweet. So somebody put a note, and you can rate it. Is that the end of the screenshot? I think so. So then Okay, go so to let's the go next. to the next screenshot. So you can see where this would be helpful, like, um, and then here are Birdwatch in, in the in this Birdwatch tab, which only the Oversight Committee, the the Ministry of Truth, the Truth, <laughs> huh? 
birds, the note holders, the bird watchers, the note holders, the 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 keepers of the notes. The keepers of the notes would have access to this tab, not us. And it says bird watches newest notes, hot off the presses. These are the most recently written notes. Contributors can rate these notes to determine their helpfulness. So again, the bird watchers. Uh, oh God, here we go. A Marco Rubio. I know. <laughs> like, this is terrible. This sounds oh, like a unique God. form of purgatory. Yeah, God, this, this is, is literally like a Black Mirror episode. Hey, uh, um, here are the most loathsome people in the world. How would you like to rate their tweets? <laughs> I mean, right? I like, think this is I, Saw Nine. This is the. This is what the. What's the. What's the evil guy in Saw? I don't know. The guy who's like the little puppet. Oh, what I do don't watch that stuff. No, I'm a big chicken. Jigsaw. Jigsaw. So in the horror film Saw, this is there's like a little well. jigsaw puppet, and he comes up with all kinds of contraptions to torture you and maim you. This is kind of that. This is it's jaw, <laughs> Saw 9. This is going to be the premise of it. If we have Your pregnant wait, people. Wait, do we have to? Can you? Let's say there's like a particularly inflammatory tweet from one Marco Rubio related to abortion. Then you get some notes submitted by Birdwatch contributors. I just think, okay. Mm. Let's you don't want to read this tweet from Marco Rubio? It's amazing. No, because I'm just going to go into like the fog of war, speaking of which. Full tilt. <laughs> I don't want to tilt you, Molly. tilt. Oh, oh, I'll read it. If we have, quote, pregnant people, then mm. how, says Marco Rubio, in I'm sure, completely good faith. Yeah. Can Roe be about a woman's right to choose? Ah, because now men that we've perverted who we the concept as of women. womanhood yes. with the existence of trans people, then the yes. question of abortion is utterly specious. Okay. I don't need, let's not even I mean, go I'm there. I'm just saying, what the f is a note going to do for this? <laughs> well, oh, good. There's a note on it. it. Well, so it might it's not the worst it? thing I've ever read. It, it might explain it or it might explain its history or like. He's referring to trans people here. Well, I mean, people might not get it at first. A yes, popular I think that Republican actually, trope that as long as women don't actually exist, neither can abortion. Perfect. I think what actually is that might be. do for anybody? Well, I think there might be people who, when they read the we don't understand it at face value. I guess no. that's the idea, putting more context in it. Or, you know, maybe you could link to, you know, other tweets by him. Anyway, let's keep going so here. If you're like, in case you're wondering how loathsome this tweet really is, let me help you understand. Okay, here we go. And then <laughs> here's a New York Post, pansexual Florida teacher can for discussing orientation with students. Okay. So I guess that's the don't say gay slash parents mm -hmm. rights kind of post to be. I mean, there's one where like, I feel like you tricked me today what i'm not I trying to trigger <laughs> you this was not i'm not trolling you i promise these were the a, ones leaked to me it's a trap obviously i think what this is showing is like that bird watch at least can identify anybody is, can identify these you could already report them anyway okay so let's okay but i think this is being done automated is the, the right. issue here it is time for another r crowd deal of the week right now you can join r crowd's investment in sotero According to the deal memo, Sotero has developed a patented new approach to data protection. This new technique eliminates the gaps of traditional methods by securing any data asset, whether it's on-premises or in the cloud. And according to their deal memo, Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. You can invest in Sotero at rcrowd.com twist today. And all over the world, companies like Sotero are innovating and driving returns for investors. And our crowd analyzes many of these companies, and they select the ones with the greatest growth potential, and they bring them to you. 
They invest from personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion annually. Our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, and that's early. So if you are an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist, and you will review all their current deals, read those deal memos, you're going to get super smart about investing. Once again, OURCROWD.com slash twist to sign up and read the deal memos for free. Let's and talk about he, the goals. What are they? Okay. Well, why don't you read this one and just describe okay. what we're seeing here on the screen for the people listening. So this is the third tab on the bird watch tab. The, In which, know, right. So then you, uh, bird watcher, are mm -hmm. also asked to review notes that have been rated helpful by contributors. Birdwatch relies on contributors to rate each other's notes. Notes shown on these tweets have been rated helpful by contributors of multiple perspectives. Ah, that's a key graph at the end there. Uh-huh. So they're saying multiple people. Wait, hold on. Go back to that. Contributors of multiple perspectives. So they're not using political leaning here. Oh, or we don't know. Well, they're, well, they're not. Right. And I mean, this could be they're like not saying that. This could be like when Facebook was like, we're going to surface all news sources. And they were like, yeah. and it includes Breitbart and Alex Jones. And, Daily you know, Wire. And <laughs> Daily Wire. Jones exactly. Like, feelings on Roe v. Wade. Right. Yeah, just can't wait for those. Um, by contributors of multiple perspectives. So mayday, I, mayday. the language they're using is specifically to uncharge it. Right. They're trying to keep this like cool and calm here. Contributors of multiple perspectives. <laughs> I, I salute them for writing good copy. I think it's good copy. Okay. so. The example given here, let's scroll down. I wish I had more examples of the notes, to be honest. Uh, I know. We have a lot of examples down of here. Let's take a look at this. Tweets. <laughs> here's a governor. Scroll down. Um, okay. So here's some. Uh, do, we can, we, do we see the rest of this screenshot we here? Can, but it says, uh -huh. uh, Stitt claims all 4 million Oklahomans. So they're basically uh, taking a claim by a. Um, right. So he says, I, in, the, in this case, the tweet by the governor in Oklahoma says, I represent all 4 million Oklahomans who overwhelmingly want to protect the unborn. One assumes the note here then goes on to say, <laughs> all 4 million Oklahomans have been polled. And in fact, uh, this is not accurate, right? Yeah. Like, okay. I, yeah. yeah. So great. That's a... But again, that would be in the replies. So I don't totally understand how the... Well, proximity and featuring matters. Yeah. So if it's in the replies, people are like, you're saying that because you're a West Coast, East Coast, coastal elite, or you're saying that because you're a hillbilly, you know, from Appalachia. Here, it's like, <laughs> there was some sort of process. The community of bird watchers who are thoughtful and monitored in some way, voted this note as the best note. So I have a feeling that the notes will be ranked mm -hmm. by how helpful they were. And that what they hope is if you're good at voting them and you're not using bias or trying to spin that the best note will make it to the top. So they're probably yeah. trying to find thoughtful people with a sense of purpose. Now you say, Hey, uh, you know, that's never going to work. Well, it's kind of working over at Wikipedia. Um, more often than not, I think most of the stuff on the Wikipedia is surprisingly accurate mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the majority of large pages, long tail pages. No, they're not edited. They're not looked at. And if you have your profile on there, it's just going to be your haters. Anything it. can happen. Yeah. It's Although if somebody would update all. my photo, that'd be amazing. It's like 15 years old. I look 11. Um, uh, <laughs> so That's a bad thing. It's yeah, right I on my Twitter kind of profile put a, if you just want to. Can somebody put a thin Jason photo on there, not a bad Jason? Because <laughs> uh, I like can't edit my own. I uh, am definitely not of the opinion that this could never work. My initial response is that yeah, this is... Yeah, let's go. Let's get there. Yeah, let's yeah my initial response is that this is overly complicated when in fact... 
it's it's a Wicked, it's a Wikipedia model when they could just start with a Reddit model. Like I actually think if you could upvote and downvote that I think by they itself, do that in replies now. I think they do show the replies based on the likes. I know that was like an experiment they were doing. I don't know if they broadly did it. Right, but, but then no it becomes a popularity vote. contest, Molly, where it's you know, the top one is gonna be maybe the joke. The top one's gonna be I mean, uh, yes, the most but honestly, I read a lot dumb. of Reddit. So my two I actually think that my two trusted, most trusted news sources in a weird way are Wikipedia and Reddit. Because I believe that the bulk of that audience on Reddit, depending on which community you're in, let's of be course. clear. It's but even still, yeah. like this is a community that's actually devoted to a really smart discourse. And I don't see things get voted up or voted down just because it's like, oh, this conforms with my worldview. It's more like, wow, this contains a lot of really inf interesting information and it's very useful. And mm. if that was the message around upvoting, downvoting, and you had managed to get rid of spam and bots, mm -hmm. then I think it's not so much about, because right now surfacing replies based on likes is a popularity contest, but including mm. downvotes allows for moderating influences on either side. I just think there's a simpler way to improve this than like a sort of like anonymous layer of hand-picked <laughs> elite, you know, Twitterati who are empowered uh, to deal with this. If I know who they all are, maybe there's that, but it just, I don't know. It feels a little like... Here's the thing. If you know who they are, then you can start lobbying them. Right. Then you just come for them. Yeah. So, so and then, then you dox just, them and you, yeah, it could so get So then ugly. it's an unelected board of mysterious elites who get to decide... I mean, they're they're policing each other, but I don't know. It's just like it's complicated. It's that just, would be the most it's overly complex. It's the most. That's the most uh, cynical slash concerning worldview of it, right? That's right. the if this is executed horribly, uh, that would be the possibility. I'll take the other side. Yeah. Um, if they pick thoughtful people, uh -huh. and you have enough thoughtful people there, even if there is bias, in aggregate, people are going to pick the most sensible note to put up there. And it's only a note uh, for explanation and clarity. It's not the final answer. So it if it is framed as here's a note on this tweet mm -hmm. from the community mm -hmm. and the people who uh, read tweets, if you want to see these and you don't have to see them, you could turn them off. Maybe would be an option. Don't show me these. But if you do choose to see them, this is what a, a group of thoughtful community members um voted as the most important uh context for you to know so it's just context and it's context from the community mods mm -hmm. i think if it's framed as here's some context from community mods not the definitive answer mm -hmm. it could be very helpful and so context matters i think that's why i like it being right under the tweet and if, if even if it wasn't opened if it just said community notes uh or community manager notes mm -hmm. that's kind of what that, you know, we had this term called list moms. It wasn't gender specific. Yeah, it was just yeah, yeah. the, the mm -hmm. mothering concept of, you know, being nurturing. Mm -hmm. There were there was a concept of a list mom for listservs. Listservs yep. were like the original group message boards for people who don't know. And you would just sign up for an email list and then you would get flooded with 300 emails in a day. Yeah. People talking about Star Wars uh, or yeah. Lord of the Rings. I mean, but the moderation mom, is great. Yeah. Like eats. Wikipedia works. A moderate, you know, we have moderators in our chat. Like it is really... It, it has traditionally been a very valuable concept in terms of keeping online communities. When uh, does it work, Molly? Better. When does moderation work in your experience, uh, you know, in decades of experience on the internet and yeah. pre and before that online services? When have you seen it work well? What do you think makes it work? 
I think it I mean, always works well. You mentioned our well. YouTube uh, chat room. So. Right. I think it always works well. I think like yeah. always when you have impassionate, when you have passionate, empowered people mm-hmm. as part of communities who yeah. are in charge of taking care of those communities and keeping them safe, mm-hmm. it works until there's a certain amount of scale mm-hmm. or lack of empowerment or overwhelming by bots and brigades that makes it yeah. impossible. So the question is whether this can be accomplished at Twitter at scale. And whether people will trust this moderation layer. It, look, every effort in this direction by Twitter is a good one. Let me be clear. Yeah, <laughs> like I like that's the a good one. So I give I don't a thumbs wanna, up I'm, for the experiment. You like yeah, the experiment? You know yes, actually, I will say thumbs up to experimentation. Implementation yeah. to me seems complicated, but I think it's just because we haven't seen it in the wild, and we're bouncing back and forth between the mod view and the public view and the this yeah. and that, and you know. So, the but pie. yes. Bravo for trying everything to make this thing better. You might not realize it, but you've probably used Intercom before. You know when you visit a website and that little chat bubble pops up and they help you with any question you have? Well, that's Intercom. I literally used it this weekend. It's the best way to connect with your customers. Intercom's platform helps you engage and support your users through personalized chat-like experiences. And over 25,000 companies use it every single day. I kid you not. Because they want to foster their relationship with customers. They want to covet those customers. And those customers have great things to say. In fact, here's a testimonial from Twitter. It's almost like all websites I visit with that intercom chat button, I instantly associate them with great customer service, just like intercom intended. So if you're an early stage high growth startup, you can get access to intercom's early stage academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early dash stage or email them. That's how cool they are at intercom. They'll just, you just email them startups at intercom.io. How easy is that? By the way, you can register for intercom's next customer experience for growth webinar on May 18th by clicking on the link in our YouTube description or the episode page. Great job intercom. I would say you kind of nailed it in there uh, to make it even more succinct. The communities um, that really have great moderation is when you select people who truly care about that community and have great intent. So it really is in who you select. It is. And yeah. so how did we select the mods for our YouTube chat, which have the ability to ban somebody, time somebody out that, you know, they have like God powers in our chat. Yeah. Well, we can't sit there when we're on air and do it. But, you know, I'm a, cha- I'm a mod for Nick's fan TV. How did I get that privilege? They saw me there every night and they heard me dial in and they saw my contributions and they said, Jake Hal really cares about the Knicks. He's been here for 20 nights. He's commented on 20 games. Yeah. Um, let's make him a mod. We yep. saw a beard script. We saw a Zen profit. We saw folks yep. who showed up every day for youtube.com slash this weekend. We said, yeah, it's obvious we should be a mod. And if they did a bad job, we would take them out. So you, you kind of lightly man, you, you pick people in the community who truly care, as you pointed out, and you empower them. And I guess you got to. Yeah, you got to monitor them, make sure they don't go rogue. Um, and there could be some going rogue. But I think this is an interesting idea. Some people might say, just no thumbs on the scale. Just let people interpret for themselves. Yeah, I don't um, think that's helpful. Other people might, you know, see, here's the problem. If you hire a bunch of fact checkers, there's a certain group of people out there who are just unbelievable liars and another group and they don't care about their lies like they're mm-hmm. like lying is trolling to them mm-hmm. so it's kind of fun 
And there's one side who uses lying <laughs> kind of as a sport, like a blood sport. And there's another uh -huh. group that uses framing mm -hmm. and words as their sport. I don't want right. to tell you which side it is, but if you watch politics, <laughs> there's there one group who uses framing mm -hmm. and emotion. And then there's another group that just uses straight up lies and trolling Barrage, to great effect. Fire hose of lies. Yeah. And, and fact checking, we know what's interest what's valuable about the mod concept. And again, I keep mm -hmm. going back to Wikipedia and Reddit, which I think are like remarkably well accurate and managed and well executed because they are because they have communities who care about them in charge mm -hmm. of making sure that they're okay places or horrible places, but whatever. Um, what works about that is that it is not top down. And we also know that fact checking as a concept, like sadly in many cases doesn't work it reinforces the lie like it just restates it and it also mm. because of the way our brains literally work in terms of the grooves hardens positions yeah in a weird that way. is a that is a very weird thing that we will have to overcome especially when the leaders of a certain group are like just keep going in harder and harder on the lies i mean i'm yeah i mean let me just be clear i'm talking about a, the election lie conspiracy that the election was rigged yeah and you lose like 61 cases or whatever number of cases they did. And I, I think Trump has every right and his group to take every single court case that they want to spend money on. That's how the justice system works. But when you lose 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever the number wound up being, I think it was in the 60s that they lost. At some point, we and they don't have like a single piece of evidence that like it was rigged. At a certain point, you're like, you lost 60 times. Like, mm -hmm. Do you need to lose 120 or 70? What's yeah. the number of court cases you need to lose for us to deem you a loser? Like right. the justice system makes mistakes. I doubt it gets it wrong 62 times in 60 different, two different venues. I hate to be political here, but was it not obvious to everybody? And it, to your point, for people who believe it, the groove had been, you know, carved. so carved mm -hmm. in their brains that they can't get out of the groove that right. it was stolen. And what 60 court cases does is it sows doubt. Yeah, so? Because on the other side, you're like, why would there be 60 court cases about this if ah, it wasn't, if there wasn't yes. something to it? So you just, you keep repeating and repeating and repeating the lie. And it doesn't matter how many times mm. someone says that's a lie. Some portion of the population is going to be like, yeah, but it keeps coming up and where there's smoke, there's fire. I have this issue with Saxo all the time where it's like there was no Russian collusion. And then I give the facts and I'm like, yeah, but yeah. what about this? And what about this meeting? And what about, you know, this person getting a fine, this person going to jail, and then these people getting pardoned, like, all of this was because of Russian interference. And like, yeah, but right. Trump wasn't ever proven to be a puppet for Putin. But you just said the whole Russian collusion thing was false. Right. Th there was all these examples of Russian collusion. Did you not read the, the Mueller report? They didn't get a smoking gun of Trump, you know, getting a bag of cash. And he, yeah. you know, but you did have all these people around him meeting with the Russians, and you had him asking for them to hack Hillary's email. So like, what about that? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, well, that's Sachs, different. And then all of a sudden, their argument breaks down, and they don't want to talk about it anymore. Very disciplined. Sachs is very disciplined. Oh, God. He's so in disciplined. His messaging. Let's just yeah, put it that he's way. very, yeah. And we're still friends. <laughs> yep. There you go. There we're all right, still guys, friends. That's, all that's right. it for one for Friday. One for Friday. We, Which we I threw think, out the five. Because you know what? this is such big news. Producing on the fly. We're moderating. It's we're too big news. This, is a, 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 this week at Startups, exclusive. If you have an exclusive... Uh, we don't pay for scoops here, uh, so don't. I'm not sending you a bottle of um, Don Julio. But the person <laughs> who gave me these leaked screenshots, uh, I'm sending you a bottle of Don Julio. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the screenshots. Uh, this is an exclusive. 
if you are going to rewrite this Verge Fox Business Insider, must link to must link must link to Mollywood and J. Cal. Thank you. That's right. Must Have a great weekend, must everybody. We'll see you next time. Must bye -bye. link. Okay, bye. All right, everybody. It's Friday. It's Friday here, and everybody loves at the end of the Friday episode. Rachel Braun, Rachel reporting here with her OK Boomer segment. Tell us, Rachel, who do you have on OK Boomer this week? This week, I got to talk to Patrick McDonald. He is the co-founder of Flapjack. Flapjack's a really cool startup that uses data to optimize the layout of restaurant menus. Flapjack is also one of my favorite fake swear words from when I was trying not to corrupt my child. Um how big a business is this? Like, what does Patrick have to say about Flapjack and and why why that specifically restaurant menus? So we did talk a lot about how he got into the restaurant industry. Um, he found out this was a pretty big problem when he started making air filters for people during the pandemic. People that were buying the air filters were restaurants, you know, because they wanted people to come in and start eating inside again. Um, from doing that, he found out that a lot of these companies had issues with their, uh, with their restaurant design. Um, even the grammar in some of the menus kind of sucked. And he found out that if you just kind of tweak the menus, um, people were able to save a ton of money. And I thought that was kind of a cool, cool way he found it. Interesting. So huh. this is AI or it's a consulting service. So they look at the menu and they consult with you and tell you, Hey, listen, your Caesar salad would do better if you had shrimp and you could say plus $7 for shrimp. And you had a flank steak plus six dollars or $8 for flank steak. That's a layup for you. Why don't you have, you know, add chicken, add shrimp, add flank steak to the yeah. bottom of any salad? Yeah. Is it that kind of like advice that you would think every restaurant tour would know, but maybe it's not obvious? So exactly. They use food cost data, sales data, and online reviews to design the most mm. profitable menu. Um, he also said oh. that there is like an eight to 10 increase in gross profit after people use Flapjack and he's eight right to 10 X percent percent percent. Yeah. 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 So I said not possible to be eight to 10 X, but <laughs> not in restaurants. Percent makes sense because if you could lower it, you could certainly lower your food cost by 5%. You could certainly increase orders by 5%. I mean, all that optimization is there. Do they, did he talk about taking into account? I know we're totally like, we're interested. They, we're interested. The feedback that you give on Uber or DoorDash, because they ask you to thumbs up and down stuff on an individual item basis. And if you thumbs it down, they might ask you why, hey, it came cold, whatever. And because, you know, it's let's face it, some things don't travel well. Maybe the restaurant tour thinks it does in optimal conditions. But in reality, you know, if you order ramen, you know, sometimes it comes in a big globular <laughs> brick of ramen and you're like, this is terrible. And then some places seem to have figured out how to deliver ramen without making it turn into a brick of. You got to separate the broth. Who's not doing that? He did not mention it being Whoa. used for Uber Eats or anything, but I think that'd be a great use case. He's mm. in a uh, in a incubator type of thing, a residency program called HF Zero uh, down hmm. in Miami. So I'm sure he's he's building out there. I like it. So, and you know, it's uh, really funny. Investing? What's going on? Did you get an I know. allocation? I think it'd be really. You cool may need an allocation. I think he's. And then the funny right part. Now, so, okay, let's we'll yeah. call him up. But the funny thing is that actually, despite our interest in the business, it's like the least interesting thing about this kid who worked on the flamethrower project at the Boring Company, yeah. who negotiated from a spoon to a BMW. Like this sounds like a really fascinating founder. Yeah, he is crazy cool. So he was the first 
and only, I believe, full-time employee at the Boring, com- the boring Company's Not a Flamethrower okay. project, which was really cool. And then he was a product, a product manager at Dropbox. Um, okay. So the job to creating a Starbucks to the jump to creating a uh, startup I thought was kind of interesting going from like two kind of pretty big companies. Hmm. Excited Great to hear your interview. Stick Rachel. with us, everybody. Yeah, Stick nicely with us. Done. Nicely done. Good catch. Good get. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. So thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on the segment of Okay, Boomer. So to give everybody a little bit of backstory, I met Patrick because I showed up at HF Zero, which is a hacker fellowship in Miami. I heard there was a bunch of cool people there. And I quite literally just went to your guys' little compound to see what was up. You were sitting outside eating and we talked for a little bit. And I realized your startup would be something that Jason would be really interested in. And you were really funny. So I thought you'd be a great person to have on the segment. You are the co-founder of Flapjack, right? Yeah, that's correct. Awesome. So can you give us a rundown of what Flapjack is? Yeah. So we optimize restaurant menus, at least as a starting point. So we like leverage sales data, online review data, food costing, eye tracking studies to optimize like uh, a piece of paper. Um, so it's effectively like conversion optimization or like funnel optimization, except we do it on like a printed out item. So we can generally lift restaurant gross profits like eight to 10%, which is pretty meaningful for restaurants. That's like another 70k for like our average customer. That's awesome. And so are you guys only doing physical paper menus right now? Or do you ever do online menus? We're starting out with paper just because like the competition in the space is less restaurants already understand it. We're seeing a lot of restaurants switch back from QR codes to paper menus. Yeah. But it, it's like a really good wedge, like it enables us to like get access to a lot of like restaurant data, we get their um, live order data, their inventory data, their food costing data, like their food delivery profiles. So like, I, I think we can kind of position this almost as like maybe like a main street to restaurants where we just like continually find, you know, 5, 10, 20k just kind of like lying around their business. That's awesome. I love this idea because I do not like QR code menus. I don't hate them in the beginning. I kind of understood like why we had to do them, especially when we were like slowly getting back to like the restaurant world. But at this point, I hate the fact that sometimes it takes a long time to like open up the actual QR codes. Somebody always has a problem with it if you're with a big group. And then also, like, once you're on your phone in the beginning of, like, a meal, I feel like it's a little bit difficult to get off. So super excited to see Flapjack come into play. Um, and can you also explain what HF0 is, the area that we met? I assume you're... Are you still there right now? Oh, yeah. I'm still With the here. palm trees, still I can at, tell. I'm still, in Miami. <laughs> I'm still uh, in our hotel. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. It stands for Hacko Fe- Hacker Fellowship Zero. The idea is it's like a 12-week kind of like residency uh, out here in Miami. So in person, kind of all like housing, food, uh, like laundry, room turning, kind of everything's done with the idea that you can just like singularity kind of like focus. Um, so it's been like really refreshing. It's been nice to have like been able to just like fully work on one problem for this kind of period of time. Um, yeah, it's been really fantastic. Better really Very good experience. Cool. Awesome. And how did you find out about it? Was this like some application process or do people find you? Uh, they're a little under the radar, maybe a little bit on purpose. Uh, we got connected with a man who he was like, I, I have a background in mechanical engineering and he was working on some hardware stuff. So I was just like curious. Uh, he like knew that we were about ready to like start fundraising. Uh, and he's like, hey, you should like look at these people instead. Um, and then kind of got talked into coming out here. So here we are. Very cool. So it's a really, really cool area that you guys um, are living at. Like you kind of mentioned, it's like a hotel. To me, they almost felt like I was in like a college dorm area, but like a really tropical college dorm with like a <laughs> bar fairly close by. So how has it been having the focus on Flapjack, like solely literally nothing else? Like you guys aren't cooking. Like you said, there's there's meals that are provided for you. Everything's really done up. Just make sure you can focus. 
has this like intense period you think helped flapjack or do you feel just incredibly burnt out from it um i think it's like something that you can do for like a short period of time like i I don't Mm -hmm. think burnt out is quite the right word but i definitely think you can like have to keep this up intensity for like a period of time get the business where it needs to be like closed we're like raising kind of like a pre-seed to seed round we'll like have that closed pretty soon um uh and like i think that's important and then like i think i might need to take like a little bit of a vacation after this for you know three four days <laughs> and maybe maybe get slightly more on like a, a little bit of a more normal work schedule and like maybe yeah. take like a day off on the weekends oh my gosh a day off don't say that yeah gotcha, i, I want to i know right i want to flash back because you have a really interesting background and i know that because you kind of mentioned it when we were talking but then because you you were so happy to come on the show thank you so much i was able to stalk you a ton on the internet Oh, and no. I found a lot of cool stuff about you. Um, one thing I do want to read out loud from your LinkedIn, you're a 2019 grad from USC. You did mechanical engineering. This activity stood out a lot to me. Personal bartering, starting with a spoon, gradually traded up to a BMW 328i on Craigslist. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, it was like on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and like back when offer up and let go were a little bit more of a thing. Uh, I don't know. It was fun. It was like, I read the story about the guy who went from the paperclip to the house. Um, and I like, uh, I just like sold a lot of stuff on Craigslist and eBay as a child, uh, <laughs> um, for better or for worse. Uh, so like, I kind of wanted to see if I could do it. So like, I went from like a spoon to like a piece of antique, uh, film equipment, the antique film equipment to like a bicycle trailer that you like haul your kids in behind a bicycle mm-hmm. from that to like a garbage disposal, garbage disposal to, a security camera system, a security camera system to like a set of rims and tires, that to a moped, moped to this kind of like beater Acura, then this beater Acura to this like BMW. And then I sold, I graduated college. Uh, but it was great. It was like, it was, yeah, you'd be amazed. Like, it's just all about kind of like relative values. Like, how do you find somebody who like, isn't willing to put in the work to sell something, but like wants yeah. the item you have? Um, I want to do it again. There's like some people who popped off on TikTok with it recently. I saw, I saw, I thought this was, I was like, dang, like, was this part of a challenge or something? But, um, uh, cause you graduated in 2019, I guess you weren't able to even put this up on TikTok or musically, I guess would be back then, right? Yeah. 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 I'm jealous. They've, uh, there's people who picked up some really good yeah. size audiences doing it. We capitalized on that. I also found out that you were the only full-time employee on Elon Musk's Not a Flamethrower project. That was really cool. How did you get from doing things like, trading a spoon on craigslist to um working on this flamethrower at the boring company being a pm at dropbox which is the only thing that i that you told me about when i uh met up with you at hf zero to founding um flapjack what what is this timeline and how did you find yourself doing a bunch of really cool things let's see so i i studied mechanical engineering in college somewhere around like junior year i like worked a couple internships and i'm like i like this just isn't like the right like path for me like there's people are way too excited about this than like I, I thought i'd really love it but it's like a great place to be from and i'm really glad but um so i'm like okay now what so uh i was like okay i like have like a mechanical engineering portfolio of like things that i built but i don't really have like a business portfolio or like anything else like i have a lot of things that i've like welded or like designed but like i'm like okay I'll try the spoon project like i'd done it once before back in like high school i went from like an xbox controller to like a dirt bike um, so I'm like, I'll try that. That's like, I don't know, like a good story. I can like get that on kind of a portfolio. And then like the stars kind of aligned. I don't know, some combination of like hard work and meets opportunity meets like some dumb luck. And like the boring company had sold flamethrowers. Uh, and they're kind of like looking for somebody. I don't want to say run the project, but like I, I was a student in college. 
um, but just kind of like take on just like the the day to day work of it. So like I, I cold emailed Elon's chief of staff, who kind of passed the message down to the boring company, kind of like the background worked out, they want somebody with a hardware background, they like appreciated kind of like the hacky projects. Uh, I, I was like a student at the time. So I could just kind of like hop out of school and like, you know, was willing to like work pretty hard hours. So really thankful for them. It was like a really fantastic opportunity. Like I owe them a lot for it. Um, That's awesome. and then like, I, I'm like, okay, like I'm kind of doing product work here. Like, I don't know everything from like instructions to assembly, to pick up events, to like customer support. Like if you emailed flamethrowers at boringcompany.com, I responded. <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, this like kind of product work. Like maybe I can get like a PM job in tech. And they're like kind of notoriously like challenging to get like a lot of people applying um dropbox like valued people with like interesting backgrounds like i had kind of like a weird story a little bit of uh um just like your non-traditional uh like pm and tech job uh and like the hiring manager and kind of person running the program really appreciated that um so yeah i don't know some combination of, like things compounding some kind of like dumb luck some like uh i don't know i i don't quite yeah this, this is a great answer but no, that is a really, really good answer because it sounds like you said before that you hacked a bunch of projects together. And I wish that was something that more people were told in college to do because I actually think projects matter 10 times worse than like anything you actually end up doing in the classroom. Um, what kind of projects were you hacking together that you ended up showing the boring company and Dropbox? Yeah, let's see. For boring, the like trading up to a, a spoon to a car was like a big one. Um, I like had like some hardware projects around like a, I had worked for like a drone company and underwater robotics company. Uh, and that was important just to show some like technical proficiency because it's like a hardware project and like most of the engineering work was done, but, um, there's like a little bit of kind of like holdover. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then like going into Dropbox, like uh, I had some kind of like specific almost like case studies that I could like compartmentalize out of flamethrowers, um, that like showed like understanding your customers, like how to think about production schedules and like, um, like how to interpret data. And like, that was really important. How did you find yourself then going? Seems like you had a pretty heavy hardware background. You really liked hardware. It sounds like you were doing a bunch of projects in it. Um, but then going to Flapjack, this doesn't sound like there's any hardware in it right now. Do you ever think that you're going to like want that hardware experience again? Or do you think you found like a love here in that product space um, doing software? Yeah, I guess like I ended up with Flapjack because I had prior small business producing like air filters for restaurants during the pandemic, which was like pre-vaccine. How did you find out that was like a thing? Uh, how how, how was, did you get into this? This was a project with like a good friend. It was it was like, hey, we were frustrated because like during COVID, there's been like a lot of focus on like hand sanitizer, right? Which is great. Yeah. But like you get COVID from like respiratory droplets, like things floating in the air. So like yeah. there should just be air filters everywhere, right? So we found this like vice article that was if you take like a box fan and you strap like a Merv 13 filter on the back, it's like a really effective air filter. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I understand hardware, like I can put a nice low sheet metal housing around this and we can, like produce this to scale. So like produced a couple hundred of them and like installed them around the Bay Area. Like air filtration is is not a fantastic business for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, but started to like get to know restaurant owners and like the conversation just kept kind of being like, Hey, thanks for the air filter, but like, can you help me stay in business next month instead? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, kind of just started like walking through their business of like, where are the opportunities? Is it in like spoilage or inventory or like labor or whatever it might be? And then like stumbled upon kind of menus and like uh, it's kind of this field called like menu engineering or menu optimization. Like, knew from time at Dropbox of like, 
you know, you can run experiments and like kind of nudge users to do things like have really big lifts depending on like how you design your product. And then start to look at these menus. I'm like, these aren't like professionally designed, not because like a restaurant doesn't value it, but just because they have a lot going on. So like did some menus at places as like experiments for free and like started to get data back. It's like, wow, like these people are going to make another like $50,000 off of this. Um, and then they started to like email me right weekly to make updates to the menus. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Okay. I'm like, not only is this like a consulting business, like where, where they'll like pay an upfront fee, but like, I think there's a need for kind of like an ongoing menu management system that like enables them to edit their menus because they have, you know, like six, seven menus, but then can also just like drive additional value out and kind of like continually optimize it over time. Were you doing this while you were working at Dropbox or did you realize somewhere during the time that, you know, consulting is obviously a pretty time consuming, uh, consuming thing to do? Like, how long were you at Dropbox? I was at Dropbox for a year and a half. Um, I mean, like, in, in all honesty, like, I was actually laid off from Dropbox um, around, jeez, uh, like a year ago. Um, so, like, had a decision of it's like, okay, I can, like, go back into tech. Like, I'm thankful that, like, Dropbox name, like, experience, like, carry some weight and, like, felt like I could get a job somewhere doing, like, something that I would love. Um, and Dropbox provided, like, a good amount of resources to, like, just help with that transition. Um, uh, but also thought like there might kind of be maybe something that was like, a little bit kind of greener feel, something that like I can maybe find a little more more meaning in. Um, and like really enjoyed working with like small businesses at Dropbox and like really enjoyed restaurants and like thought that like they could just get like a little more kind of like wind in their sail, just be like a little more data savvy if you just kind of like talk to them and approach them the right, right way and just like really understood um, them. So kind of just took like a flyer on it. Um, wow. That's so, so. crazy. So y- do you think you would have um, taken the jump to become a full-time entrepreneur if it wasn't for getting laid off? Or do you think you would have done it and it just would have taken a little bit more time? I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Um, I definitely think... I've like, always had side hustles and I've always had projects um, uh, just like always going on. Like Those are just like, my hobbies, right? It was like trading on Craigslist. But like there's always a little bit of a difference between those and you know something that's like a company or something that can have venture returns. Uh, I think it's like easy to like lie to yourself of like, oh, I'll get it done, you know, in six months or a year. And I think I've like watched a lot of people I know kind of do that. Um, uh, I mean, hindsight will tell in 2020, we're, we're still pretty early over here with a flapjack of like, if this was the right decision. Um, uh, but, but regardless, it's like been like a fun adventure. How has going to a, uh, a hacker fellowship benefited flapjack or just you as a founder? Yeah, I was a little skeptical at first. Not gonna lie, I think I had like gotten some bad advice from uh, people that like incubators and accelerators are like a waste of time. And they're just like really expensive in terms of, like equity. I think there's some truth to that. I think it's more of like your odds of success as like an entre- entrepreneur and as like a startup are just like unfortunately pretty low. At least of, like mm-hmm. having these like crazy venture returns, right? Of like you know you being becoming a unicorn is like ten percent, but probably lower. I don't even know. It, it, like it's not super high. So, like, I think as, like, a first-time, like, founder, especially, like, you know, it's spent time in tech, but, like, didn't have a deep enough network to, like, raise a funding round off of, or at least didn't think so. Like, I, I think there's just, like, a lot of just, like, good housekeeping that you kind of pick up that I think, like, would have taken us a lot longer to figure out. Uh, just, like, you know, we were undercharging for a long time. So, like, increasing prices and, like, being honest of, like, okay, like, we should hit these prices because, like, if we don't, like, then, like, the margins on like this being like a venture scalable company, which like isn't there. So we're like backing yeah. up the product into this and like it, it ends up working out and like we're in a good place. But I think it would have taken us another like three months. Um, or even to think about like how like 
growth metrics and like, you know, how much to grow monthly and like how to think about that and how to back into hiring. Um, uh, like I, I think maybe like incubators and accelerators are maybe like a tax on kind of first time entrepreneurs and like, that's okay. And like, maybe you can get around it. Um, uh, but like overall, like I, I think like I'm pretty happy that we're here and it was the right decision in hindsight. That is a great analogy, like a tax on first time founders. Cause I like how at least I guess I haven't seen that many accelerators and incubators operate, but you know, Jason obviously has, um, founder you and things like that that happens. Um, and it's really interesting hearing some of the stuff they cover because it's, it comes down where it's just like the almost like the basics. And I feel like if you don't have like a good foundation as a founder with those basics, it is so easy to mess up along the way. And it's almost worth like having to shell out a, a, that portion of your company, like you kind of mentioned in equity to have a really, really stable foundation as you like, f- as time goes on, your company grows. Um, where? Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't mean a tax is like a negative form. I think it's like, uh, like you have a lot of shots kind of like doing entrepreneurial yeah. things. You can do it multiple times. Like I think, you can do it on your own. You can definitely do it without. I just think it's maybe a little bit of like a harder journey. Oh, yeah. And then now that you know it, I feel like now you know it. So do you think that you would go in, for example, like if you start another startup, do you think that you'd ever like go back into another like accelerator or incubator? Um, Maybe. I think it depends on like the company and your stage and your success. Um, I think like our goal coming out of this was to like get the underlying business metrics working out making sure we like had happy customers but then also like uh, the process of fundraising is just like very opaque totally. and like very much designed to be opaque and it felt like we just like needed despite having like read up a lot on it just like needed some like clarity on like how to run a process how to like get intros how to think about it how much to raise or what cap um so I, I i think it depends on like whether your business is venture scalable whether it's not whether it's like super out there and you kind of like mm-hmm. need these champions like pushing you on the bleeding edge or like maybe it just like makes sense kind of on the surface and like you can just raise around on your own or like maybe you have enough success too. So I, I don't know, hard to yeah. say. Who do you think would be like the best contender? Like what types of startups and what stage to do something like a hacker fellowship? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it depends on your risk profile. At least to us, it was important that we had kind of like proved this out to ourselves. Um, I definitely think you can take a different approach and just kind of like go in and be like, we'll figure something out. But mm-hmm. um, I think it was important that we felt like we had customers, we had some data behind it. We like knew that this generally worked, especially because like what we're pitching is maybe like a little bit of kind of like a strange concept to like people who aren't super familiar with restaurants. Like we, we optimize pieces of paper, at least to start. Um, uh, I don't remember the question. Now I'm just yeah. off on a tangent. But. No, you're good. So uh, perfectly fine because I don't know if I could go back to it anyway. So, <laughs> um, you, but you said optimizing pieces of paper and this is just where you guys are starting. You've said that multiple times. So obviously, this sounds like what you're doing is like you're collecting data. What is your guys' long-term goal with Flapjack? Yeah, I think we can kind of be like like the main street almost of restaurants where like we just kind of help them find money in their business without that much work. So like menus act as like a really good vehicle where like we're able to get access to like a lot of data within the restaurant. We're able to understand how it operates um, and we're able to like build a lot of goodwill with that customer. Um, and they like understand it through the context, and, like we get good data back from it. And we're like, it's like a little magical. They're like, we're going to make an extra $50,000 a year. And like, that's really meaningful to most of our customers. But then it's also easy to kind of like see opportunities in their business where like, we can just kind of make small tweaks and just like find them another, you know, five, 10, 20 K like their credit card processing rate can be, you know, dropped a 10th of a percent or something, or like, um, the way they order inventory, like one company is charging them more than another or like their utilities can be negotiated down or like some of the like vendors and SaaS products they pay for can be negotiated down. 
Um, and like we, we get access to all this information like through the menu process and like we just have more data on restaurants mm-hmm. than pretty much any other vendor. Uh, so like I, I think that's kind of like the long term. Like I really like the idea of kind of being like the friend to like all restaurants where you're just like every month you're finding them another, you know, five, ten, twenty thousand dollars in their business. And like hopefully yeah. you have a really good relationship with them through that. That's awesome. And is it difficult to be selling to restaurants like selling software like this? Like is this a notoriously difficult group of people to adopt new technology or do you find that they're um, pretty okay with it i used to work at a fellowship that did like supply chain and mobility and whenever we dealt with like people in trucking it was like pulling teeth to get them to adopt something new (laughs) you know um so what is what is it like trying to sell to people that are restaurant owners yeah i think people a little bit get it wrong and people say that it's really challenging and and, like i think selling to all customers is challenging or like has its challenges I, i think no you know, anytime anybody's going to pay you four or $5,000, like there's challenges with it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think like what people get wrong is like restaurants only really pay for two different types of things. Like they pay for things that they have to have, like a point of sale system, inventory, labor, rent, you know, utilities, or they pay for things that like directly make them more money, like food delivery. And like it is attributable to Uber Eats that this order came in and like they can go in the order eats dashboard and be like, we're going to make an extra 2K this month, e- even if that like cannibalizes other channels. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I think as long as we always stay in this kind of like vein of like, we will impact your bottom line, we'll do it in like a trackable way in a way that like, you understand and like can um, kind of like pull back to us, like, I think we'll be in an okay spot. Got you. And I kind of want to make a little bit of a 180. But what was really interesting too when I was talking to you, and uh, and your co founder while we were eating dinner that one day was that you guys said you were from SF, and you were in Miami, and you were planning on going back to SF. And I, I do meet a lot of people from SF that made their way down to Miami, but most of them are pretty gung-ho about staying around there. What is the difference between being like a founder in this space in, in Miami, which I feel like is like the new hot place to be in tech, especially if you're young, versus SF, which is like such a legacy city? Yeah, I mean, so like, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure where we'll be in all honesty, because we, we keep having picking up customers out here, but we also have customers in the Bay Area. So like, I, I think we'll be somewhere between the two. Mm. Um, uh, I guess like I grew up in the Bay Area in the East Bay. Uh, so like I have like a good amount of just like friends okay. and family and just kind of like roots there. Uh, I, I also just like haven't really left this kind of like HFO bubble over here. Like I've literally <laughs> just kind of like been at this hotel for a couple months yeah. in like the four block radius. You need to explain like what this place looks like. I took an Uber out to this place. I've actually went to it once without knowing during Miami Hack Week. I didn't know that it was HFCR's thing. Um, but explain to everybody what this place looks like, because this is so interesting to me. Yeah, uh, uh, you guys should have, have have Dave on the podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I sh- if, yeah. if I'm meant to be like the uh, 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 the, the spokesperson for this. Uh, the anyway, spokesperson. Um, it's like it's a cool compound. It's like it's at this hotel, and it's like three historic buildings, like hundred year old buildings built by shipbuilders. Uh, and then kind of like a couple like apartment rows on it with kind of this like big courtyard. It's kind of like a hotel meets a hostel meets like, I don't know. It also has like a bar on the side that honestly I've never been to, but like, it's like kind of tries to be a nightclub. It's actually a little mm-hmm. bit of a noisy neighbor. Um, uh, it is like kind of on the edge of like a little Havana and Brickle and like, it, it feels like kind of like they found like a Miami hack house here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I definitely, I definitely think that's a good description of it. And what are the age ranges um, between the people that you are currently working, like working around? Because I was talking to the wonderful founders of Paella, and they were saying that in their cohort, there was somebody, I believe as young as like 14 or something, 
in theirs. And I thought that was very incredible. So what, yeah. what is the age range for you guys? Uh, I think here it's like 23 to honestly, like 50 something. It's pretty broad. Okay. Uh, definitely no 14 year olds. I think it generally gears towards like mid to late twenties. Uh, I definitely think like, yeah, people, there's like this notion of like the college dropout starting stuff. Like maybe that's true, but I also feel like the majority of people, at least like I hang out with their C or like have like been through a couple jobs in tech and like have noticed a problem and are now working on that. Yeah. Um, Do you find so. it to be like beneficial than having that experience at the boring company and at Dropbox as a founder? Like I feel like a ton of my friends have jumped, I mean, myself included, like I haven't worked a corporate, uh, besides an internship, I've never worked in big tech or a very corporate job for that matter. Like, do you think having that experience has benefited you as a founder? Or do you think that's a step that like Gen Z founders as a whole can skip? Um, I think like every job can teach you something. I think there's always questions of like how long you should spend there and like when does the learning stop? Mm -hmm. At least for me, like the learnings from Dropbox were like how you can like systematically like build products, use user data, research, talk to customers, like what's the role of like an engineering manager or like mm -hmm. a researcher, just like, how does a company that historically has like had good success iterating on features and like getting growth like function? Yeah. Um, and like the boring company was like almost the exact opposite. It's like, how do you take a bunch of people who've like never dug a tunnel before and like dig a tunnel as fast as possible? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just like wildly, wildly different cultures, wildly different goals. Like, yeah, just complete opposites. Uh, yeah. And like they both have their pros and cons and like, at least I was fortunate enough to kind of see both. I think like the lessons for boring were like, you can just have a lot of people move like really freaking fast doing something really amazing. And the lessons from Dropbox were like, you can be really methodical about like what you build and like very intentional and have good results out of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I like that. I think that's really interesting. I hear a lot about people doing the whole like moving fast and breaking things. And it's, I always wonder, I'm like, is this the best, is this really the best way to like start your career off as a young person um, breaking, breaking things? But um, obviously, like you said, there's pros and cons to both. I guess I'm probably in the realm of the breaking things part of part of what we do, I guess, the tech, like our whole team moves incredibly fast all the time. I would not consider us to like, dig very, very deeply in on like one thing ever. And I've definitely learned how to move faster than I ever thought I possibly could. And it's benefited me a lot. I, I've never had to work slow. So I'm not sure how that would benefit me. But it's definitely been an interesting uh, role here, for sure. So Thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you? And more importantly, where can people find Flapjack? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess uh, I guess on my Twitter, which is at Product Patrick. Is that right? That's a good hand. That is a good handle. I don't even know. How long have you been on Twitter? Not that long. Uh, I That's good. I reset the profile at Product Patrick. Yeah. How did you get that name? I just It was just open. It was just like available no like six months ago. No uh, way. Um, I'm Googling this right now. I'm a little bit of a lurker, though. Maybe one day I oh, should start posting. Uh, that's really yeah. good. And Flapjack is available on flapjack.co. Um, cool. Are people yeah. already using it? Are companies already using Flapjack? You yeah. said you have some customers over in SF, companies over in Miami. Yeah, one in Australia. We're like a couple dozen uh, locations using Flapjack, like menus and cool. service at places. Um, some, like, Any in New size. York? No, not yet. Uh, some oh, okay. we've been talking to, uh, okay. but they're they're a little larger. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, you have to let us know because, uh, producer Justin, producer Nick and myself are all based in New York. So we'll have to check out one of the, uh, flapjack menus when we get the chance. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll make our way there. It's too much yeah. of like a restaurant capital that we just like, yeah. can't, avo can't avoid it. Absolutely. Alrighty. Thank you so much again for coming on. 
uh, Patrick McDonald of Flapjack. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>